0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we bow before you again with thankful hearts for the privilege that we have together, together on this Lord's day to worship you in truth and spirit. We thank you that we have forgiveness in Christ and the work he has accomplished on our behalf so that we might come to you and bow before you and worship you in the manner that you have revealed to us. We pray, Father, that our minds would be fastened upon Your truth this day. As we open up Your Word to study these things, we pray that Your Spirit would give us insight into these truths so that we might rightly apply them to our life. We thank You, Father, for the privilege of prayer. And we pray that we would have a greater understanding of what Jesus instructs us in this passage pertaining to fasting this day. We know, Father, that you have a purpose for all things and that you have given us all of those things that we need to know in your Word. We pray, Father, that we would study those things and that we would rightly apply your truth to our life so that we would become more like our Savior. He Himself who fasted for 40 days and 40 nights before He was tempted there in the wilderness, so that he might be able to defeat Satan and his temptations. May we likewise understand from what he did and what he teaches us, so that we might be more like him. For we know that we live in an evil day, Father. We know that we live in a day when we need spiritual strength to be able to overcome the evil one. We pray that we might gain wisdom this day pertaining to these things so that we might rightly live the Christian life. How we pray, Father, for the salvation of your people throughout the world as the gospel is proclaimed. How we pray that many would come this day to Christ. How we also pray for saints that you would grow them in the likeness of Christ, that their lives might be sanctified, that the old might be put off and the new put on. How we pray that you might meet with us by your Spirit this day. For we know that all is vain unless your Spirit comes. Pray for those that are unable to be with us. You know their reasons and their needs. We pray especially for those, Father, who are ill. For we know that you are the great physician. We pray, if it be your will, that your healing hand would be upon their bodies and that you would restore their health so that they might be able to join us soon. Bless our time together, and all that would be said and done would be pleasing to you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, and for his sake and glory. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me again as we continue to look at Matthew 7. We have finished the Lord's Prayer. We have looked at the prefix that Jesus gave us last week, and now we begin with verse 16. Matthew chapter... 6 beginning with verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear To men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I can't remember hearing but one sermon as I grew up in church on fasting. I do remember there were times that we discussed it in Bible studies, but I don't remember any other sermons. As I was listening to a sermon by Dr. Doug Kelly, who taught at RTS, he said in his 70-something years of being in church, he never heard a sermon on fasting. I wonder how many sermons you've heard on fasting. I'm glad that we are going through this Sermon on the Mount, expositorily because it forces us to look at the duties that God has given us and it forces us to look at this particular subject of fasting. I mean, if it's not being taught from the pulpit, then we understand why so few people fast. I mean, how in the world can someone be obedient to God's Word if they are not taught God's Word? And of course, it's the preacher's... Responsibility to preach God's Word. And that's why it's so important that we preach an entire book, expositorily, verse by verse, because then we're forced to look at all the aspects of our Christian life. I think it's very important that we address the subjects that Jesus addressed. And we see that Jesus addressed this subject of fasting immediately after the Lord's prayer. It reveals to us the importance of context and another reason why we preach verse by verse so that we might look at the context before this particular passage and after this particular passage. It's important that we know what comes before it and we've already looked at that. We've looked at the Lord's Prayer, we've looked at the appendix there last week pertaining to that and now we come to this subject of praying and fasting. Now, we're on safe grounds to say that Jesus connects the two. He doesn't separate prayer from fasting. He doesn't say that you simply should fast. No, He includes in that prayer. And He seems to be saying that some things that we pray for will not be answered unless we're involved in fasting. Fasting is very important in connecting with prayer on certain things. Now, some of you may remember as we went through the Gospel of Mark, there was a particular occasion when Jesus had carried the three disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and there they had their meeting with Elijah and Moses and Jesus. And then we see when they came down off that mountain, the other disciples had been presented with a unique situation, There was a father who had brought his demonic son and they had tried to cast these demons out of him and they could not do it and they were confused, wondering what was going on and Jesus came down and when he was there he sort of rebuked them, ye of little faith and then he healed the boy. And then a little bit later, when they were alone, disciples with Jesus, they asked Jesus a question. They asked him, why could we not cast out the demons out of this boy? And Jesus responded with these words. So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Calvin wrote in his institute these words. Let me say something on fasting, because many, for want of knowledge, its uselessness undervalued its necessary, and some reject it altogether, while on the other hand, where the use of it is not well understood, it's easy to degenerate into superstition. Now, I think Calvin was addressing the Roman Catholic Church because Catholics have taken something that was to be exceptional and made it very common in their worship and very hypocritical. Now, of course, Protestants have gone to the other direction and almost dismissed fasting completely. Traditionally, when fasting for Lent, Catholics fasted for the entire 40 days. Now, when I say that they fasted for the entire 40 days, they abstained from some kind of food. In other or not all food. They didn't fast completely like Jesus did for the 40 days, but they would set aside a particular food that they enjoyed, and they would set it aside usually on Saturday or Sunday. So we would call that a partial fast. Matter of fact, all of us fast to a certain extent. In other words, when you go to bed in the evening, you've had your last meal. And then what do you have the next morning? Breakfast. Break fast. That's why it's called breakfast. So in other words, we've all fasted for some 12 hours or longer. But anyway, that's what we call a partial fast. Now, though there has been much hypocrisy pertaining to fasting, and Jesus, of course, is addressing that in his verses here, there's no reason why we shouldn't practice fasting today. Because nowhere in Scripture do we see that it was ever eliminated. Nowhere do we see that Jesus ever said, now you don't have to fast any longer. And we see here in this particular passage that Jesus warns us not to be hypocritical in our fasting. So, therefore, he assumes that his disciples will be fasting as he required them to. Matter of fact, he says there in verse 3: when you fast, be not as the hypocrites. So, when the heart and the mind is deeply consumed with some certain thing, spiritually, usually, then therefore food is not at most in their mind. Think about it. I can think of a time when my father had his stroke, and I went to the hospital and stayed there for a few days, Food was not up most on my mind. I mean, you've been around someone that's concerned about something, and what do you try to do a lot of? You need to eat something. Isn't that what we usually tell them? Well, food is not up most on their mind because they're concerned about some particular issue. And that's not always bad. And that's what Jesus is teaching us on this, that when we're so concerned with that, then it is good to fast and Pray, it's kind of a natural response to something that comes up in our life. And fasting is an expression of our unworthiness, a sense of our virtual worthlessness as far as earthly things are concerned. Our desire is fixed more upon things above. Spiritual things become utmost in our mind during that time. Now this morning, what I want us to do is simply look at an overview of this, more or less an introduction to these verses about the importance of fasting. Then next week, we will continue examining these verses. In the Old Testament, fasting is mentioned over 40 different times. It was often connected with some particular solemn event, of devotion we see in Leviticus 16:30 that the law commanded that a fast should be kept in connection with the day of atonement matter of fact there was one particular event that took place in Solomon as, when he was king that he uh, postponed the fasting there and there're some that write pertaining to that asking why did he have the privilege and ability to do that. Well, we have to realize also that Solomon's a prophet and God evidently gave him that ability to postpone it on that particular occasion. But the very first recording of a fast is where? Well, it's in Exodus 34. We see Moses went up to the Mount of Sinai to receive the law of God. And for 40 days and 40 nights, Moses was there with God, and he did not eat any food or drink any water. He was consumed with God. I mean, when you're in the presence of God, you're not going to be thinking about food, folks. That's the reason I guess we're not going to probably have food in heaven, in the new earth, I don't know. Uh, Scripture doesn't really reveal to us that, but uh, we will be able to live off the living water. Christ Himself, we don't know about all those things, but yet what I'm trying to point out is Moses, being there in the presence of God, was able to fast these 40 days and 40 nights. We see in 1 Samuel 7 that fasting helps us to express grief over our sin and show our seriousness about turning away from sin toward God and having godly obedience and seeking to walk in the path of righteousness. We can't do that apart from God, being filled by His Spirit, walking in the Spirit, which of course comes from God. We see there in that passage in Samuel 7, 6, it says, So they gathered together and Mishpas, drew water and poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day. And said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel there. So we see that the people came to realize on that particular occasion that they had sinned against the Lord. And they put away their false gods and they recommitted themselves to the Lord to worship and serve Him in the manner that He had called them to. We also see that in our scripture reading this morning. We read from Jonah and we see that Jonah went and he preached to the Ninevites and God was going to destroy them. That's what he told them. He said, you're wicked and he wanted God to destroy them. You need to be destroyed is more or less what Jonah was saying. But if they repent that God would withhold that. Jonah didn't want them to repent. We see that in the book of Jonah. But they repented. And what happened? We see that God did not destroy them. Now, this was not an ordinary occasion. But it was a time of great confession, of great repentance. They recognized that the black cloud of judgment hung over their head and it wasn't simply a few people it was the entire nation that was commanded to fast you see that there in the passage that the king commanded all of the people even the animals to be a part of this with the sackcloth so it began from the top down it began with the king downward and it was designed to express their deep humiliation before god and they cried out mightily to god And this was something that was done freely by them and an urgent response by the people. And we see that the Spirit of God fell upon them and moved them to this response where there was true repentance. As stated there in verse 10, Then God saw their works of repentance, of course, that's what it's speaking of, And they turned from their evil ways and God relented from the disaster that He had said He would bring upon them and He did not do it. Now another point that needs to be made is that there are different kinds of fasting. Scripture mentions both partial fasting and then there's the total abstinence from food as we see in this particular occasion. There is ordinary fasting that is required of all men. In other words, we are not to be gluttons. Our bellies is not to be our God. We are to eat in moderation. We just went through the holidays. It's a great temptation when you go through the holidays, especially when somebody brings peanut butter brittle up here or when someone brings banana pudding all these different things, and you think you got to have more than one dessert. I was telling my wife yesterday, matter of fact, she's getting these Christmas plates, and I said, "Hun, why do we need all those Christmas plates? Well, for dessert, I said, those plates are not big enough. <laughs> well, she's trying to keep us from being gluttons, I guess. But we see quite clearly, and Paul t- addresses that in Philippians 3.19, that we're not to overindulge. We're to do everything in moderation. Our ordinary fasting consists of restraining self. Our appetites are to be restrained. We're not to eat everything that we see. Uh, Children often are guilty of letting their eyes be bigger than their stomach, and they throw food away. Adults are guilty of that, but they don't throw the food away. They eat it. And Scripture teaches that we are to do all things in moderation. Edward Payson said, Fasting is not so much by total abstinence from food beyond accustomed intervals as by denying self at every meal and using a sparse and simple diet at all times, a course well adapted to preserve the mind and the body in the best condition for study and devotional exercise. Now, I can give a good illustration of what he's talking about. Our Sunday afternoon service after we have a meal. We're in the condition that he's talking about there. He said it's best to restrain ourselves, have a simple diet, and adapt to preserve the mind and body. See, the more you eat, what happens to the mind and body? You know, we get in here and we get sleepy. So, that encourages us to... Um, Fasten our mind upon things above and not simply on the body. Now, Scripture doesn't encourage fasting simply to lose weight. That's the reason why some people fast, but that's not what Scripture is teaching us. But the times it's mentioned, it has to do with circumstances of great seriousness, of rebellion, of sin, and of of danger. And there are times when Israel's king called the people to fast and pray because he knew the Uh, Israelites had fallen into sin and it often occurred when God's hand fell upon them and they were carried into captivity for their sin and we see that in the book of Judges you know it's a constant roller coaster ride in the book of Judges in Judges 20 26 it says then all the children of Israel that is all the children went up and came to the house of God and wept They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and they offered burnt offering and peace offering before the Lord. Why? Because the judgment of God had fallen upon them. Now on another occasion, we see that King Jehoshaphat, when he had faced the Moabites and the Amorites, there in 2 Chronicles 20 verses 20, I mean 3 through 4, it says Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord, and proclaim a fast throughout all Israel. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. So again, we see that the people responded to the judgment of God upon them. And then in the time of national tragedy, in the book of Joel, it says, Concentrate a fast. Call an assembly together, the elders and all the inhabitants of the land, into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. So we see time and time again through the Old Testament, when Israel fell into judgment under God, they would cry out unto the Lord. Now another general cause for fasting is when God is about to give some particular or special blessing to His people. Listen to what it says in Leviticus 23, 29 through 39, when the Jews had um, been exiled into Babylon and Ezra states, Then I proclaimed a day there at the river of Ahav that we might afflict ourselves before our God, To seek Him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. Now, Daniel reveals to us how God used fasting to bring about their deliverance from their captivity. In the book of Daniel, in chapters 9 and 10, we see that Daniel's prophecies include this. Daniel, of course, children, you remember the story of Daniel. He was carried into captivity when he was just a young boy in his teenage years. And he was there for over 70 years. We know that Daniel, a number of things that he did, lines then. Then there, of course, was Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Then they all participated in all that transpired there. But we see that Daniel began to read... Jeremiah 29, and studied the prophecy. And he saw there in the book of Jeremiah 29 that God had promised that they would be released after 70 years of captivity. Now, as he heard that, or as he he saw that in Scripture, he realized after he had counted up the years that they had got to that particular point. So he knew that it was about time for God to release them. What did Daniel do when he realized that? Well, he took to his knees and he began to fast and he prayed. Now some people might think, well, if God had ordained that he was going to release Israel after 70 years, then why pray? God said he's going to do it. God's going to do it. We don't need to pray about it. Was that Daniel's attitude? No. Daniel's attitude was that he fasted and prayed. He began to cry out to God and he prayed God's promise back to God. Knowing that God uses prayer to move God to do that which God has ordained to do. The great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon in London said, True prayer is... Lord, do what you said you would do. Do you hear that? True prayer is praying back to God what God has promised to do. We have talked about that on Wednesday nights as we discussed prayer time and time again. So Daniel did just that. He knew what God had promised, so he prayed and he fasted for God to do. That very thing. Now this thinking also is tied to election and predestination. Of course, no one totally understands election and predestination. If you think you totally understand them, then you aren't thinking very straight. We don't understand them completely. We accept what Scripture teaches us about them in Scripture... But we don't understand it totally. But we know one thing for sure. Those whom God has chosen, He will save, but He uses prayer to save them. That's what we see time and time again in Scripture. And Daniel knew that, that God used prayer to accomplish His purposes. And he saw what God was going to do. But no one is more actively involved in prayer than Daniel. Daniel prayed for 21 days. He fasted and prayed. Now let me give you an overview of what's happening in Daniels 9 and 10. There's a spiritual warfare going on. Y'all Children, y'all probably like this because you like spiritual warfare. I mean, you like spiritual things. You, you know, there are all these movies now. and There's all this combat that's going on. Well, this could be made into a good movie here. There's this spiritual warfare going on as Daniel was fasting. This battle was going on that was not seen by the physical eye. We aren't given all the details that were transpired. We're giving limited details. The archangel Gabriel was carrying out God's plan in order to fulfill this promise that Daniel saw there in Jeremiah 29. But Gabriel experienced resistance by satanic power. And this evil angel was very strong. This evil angel is called the Prince of Persia. And he possessed a lot of influence over the unbelieving nations. He had power over Persia. He was very strong and seemed to even be a match for Gabriel. It was, it was more or less, you could say, a duel and it was neutral. No one was winning the battle. So Gabriel was hindered in being able to bring about the blessings on the Jews to where they would be released. So therefore we must ask, why was this happening? Why was there this stalemate? Well, it was because Satan did not want the Jews to be released from Persia. Why did he not want them to return to their homeland? Well, he knew. He knew that if they returned to their homeland, that eventually the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. See, Satan knows a lot. He knows so much more than we know. He knows the Bible. He knew Micah 5, that it said that the Messiah would be born there in Bethlehem. he knew all of that. And so, therefore, he was working through this prince of Persia to hinder the Jews from being released. He knew that the work of the Messiah, what it was, that when the Messiah came, the Messiah would do what? Destroy His power. He knew that because he remembered what God had said in Genesis chapter 3, that the Messiah... The one born of woman would crush his head. Satan must have thought, if I can use the evil prince to bring Israel or keep Israel in captivity so that they cannot return to their homeland, then I can keep the Messiah from being born in Bethlehem and ultimately my power will not end. Now, I don't understand everything about what is in that unseen realm. But this much is obvious. What we do know is that Daniel fasted and prayed for God to do what God had promised to do. So one thing we learn from this is the importance of prayer. The importance of being faithful to fast and prayer the importance of corporate prayer, prayer meeting. Now, I believe that it will be prayer meeting that will eventually move God to bring about an awakening. I don't know if it happened in our day or time or not. I don't know if God's people are ready to get serious about gathering together to pray. Do you realize that praying or the lack of praying is what shapes the future? And there have been what we would say a lack of praying for decades, which has allowed the wickedness to come about and to consume us today. Now Daniel fasted and prayed for three full weeks, 21 days. And God responded positively to his prayer. And we see that God heard Daniel's prayer and he sent another holy angel named Micah who joined with Gabriel and they together defeated the evil spirit called the Prince of Persia. And the battle was won. So the Jews were finally set free and allowed to return to their homeland by King Cyprus. If this wasn't in the Bible, people would think you're crazy in, in discussing it and teaching it. Of course, there are some that think you're crazy anyway reading the Bible and studying the Bible because they don't believe the Bible. But it's interesting also that Persia is Iran today, or Iran, and Iran continues to persecute Christians. So it seems like the prince of Persia still has that nation somewhat under its power. It's sad that the devil has been successful in causing most to think that prayer doesn't make any difference. You say, why did I say that? Well, that's why most churches don't have prayer meeting anymore. And that's why most church members don't attend prayer meeting anymore. I mean, if we really believed in prayer, we would gather for prayer meeting. Right? We'd pray. But we have deceived ourselves in thinking... And Satan has deceived us that prayer doesn't really make any difference. Do you realize that prayer is the most powerful weapon we have other than the Word of God? But we must see that prayer and the Word of God goes together to bring about God's decreed will. Just about all of the Protestant churches stopped having prayer meeting in the late 1950s. Only the Southern Baptist churches continued to have prayer meeting. Very few other churches continued. Now, even most Southern Baptist churches today no longer have prayer meetings. So my question is, since they ceased in the late 50s, what happened in the 60s? Bible and prayer was removed from the schools. Drugs greatly increased. The hippie movement, sexual revolution, homosexuality, divorce, abortion, Women liberation, it could go on and on and on. When did it begin? 60s. Just shortly after prayer and prayer meeting had ceased. See, Satan gained a lot of ground in our nation. Churches dwindled, the wicked increased. Did this happen just because of evolution, as some people would think? No, I firmly believe it was because the church stopped praying. The church in our nation continues to suffer suffer from a lack of prayer, both individually and corporately. Is there hope? Most definitely. I mean what a privilege it is to be able to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to lift up our voices in prayer to that heavenly throne of grace pleading with Him to bring about the salvation of people to bring about an awakening. If we will be like Daniel and be obedient to the words of Jesus Christ amazing things will happen folks. Do you believe it or not? Will your actions show it or not? Will you continue to act as if prayer does not matter to you? Or will you become serious about praying, knowing that God hears your prayers and answers your prayers and will accomplish that which He has decreed to do if we pray? If my people will humble themselves and pray is what the Scripture says. Our question is, are we willing? Are we willing to humble ourselves and be obedient to the Word of God? When the evil one is influencing a situation... Fasting seems to be called for more than ever before. Is the evil one influencing this nation? Is the evil one influencing the church? The answer is yes and yes. Then therefore, fasting and praying is called for. There's no doubt that the evil one has influence upon this nation greatly, even upon the church today. Now, some might ask the question, again, if God is sovereign, do we need to pray? Again, the answer is yes. God knows the beginning from the end. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He knows all things. And we don't know all that God knows. But what we do know is what God has commanded us to do. And God has commanded us to pray and to fast. Why did God ordain for Christians to suffer under evil? Well, one reason is to cause us to pray, to look to Him. Yesterday, when I got back home from visiting Mom, my wife had... Uh, The movie, The Hiding Place, Corrie Ten Boone on it. I sat down and I watched it with her. And some of the things I had forgotten. I didn't realize her sister was really more spiritual than she was as they went through the concentration camps. And all that they endured and how her sister continued to keep the faith. And how eventually God, because of prayer, released Corrie Ten Boone who became a great ambassador of the gospel. But they suffered greatly. They suffered great evil upon them. But they never stopped praying. Deuteronomy 29.29 tells us, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the word of His law. So what is He saying? Don't worry about the secret things. Leave that to God. We don't know the secret things. Don't try to investigate the secret things. That's God. We are to do what? That which is revealed to us and to our children forever. And He's clearly revealed to us what our duty is. So we must not worry about those secret things God has ordained. There's so much more that God has revealed to us that should keep us busy for the rest of our life and it will keep us busy for the rest of our life if we're in the Word of God, learning the Word of God and applying the Word of God. Our duty is to pray and to fast for God's good promises to become real. Let me close by saying that no one has the right to force you to fast. All I can do is encourage you to consider what the Bible says. I'm glad that as we have gone through the Sermon on the Mount that we have come to this passage. Because it has spoken to me this week. I used to fast. I I quit fasting years ago. Brought conviction. Who am I to preach to you to fast if I'm not fasting? And I made a commitment to the Lord that I will begin again. There was a group of us pastors years ago. We used to meet once a month and we we would fast all day long and we would pray together. And I believe God heard our prayers and answered our prayers. That was early in the 80s. And we were praying that God would bring an awakening in the churches to the doctrines of grace. And I believe God heard that prayer and God answered that prayer. I mean, there wasn't a handful of us back in the 80 that held to the doctrines of grace. And it is boomed. That didn't just happen, folks. That happened because of prayer. Men praying for God to do that and bring that about. And I believe that God will do the same if we will be serious about prayer. I would encourage all of us to make fasting a part of our Christian pilgrimage. I truly believe that it will benefit us as well as the kingdom of God and His work. Next week we will look more into this and what Jesus says about fasting and how it's to be done. In the New Testament church, many many Christians, they fasted on Friday, others on Monday. And most give testimony of at least fasting once a week. But it can be once a month or it can be less or more. Each person has to decide on that. And there's some that can't fast. If you're a diabetic, it's probably best that you don't or have a partial fast. Finally... I think if you're dealing with evil spirits, demonic issues, and and there's still demonic issues today. There's still evil spirits today, as Paul tells us there in Ephesians chapter 6. In other words, when it appears as if all hell is breaking loose in your life, it's a time for you to fast. As Jesus said, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. We'll talk more about that next week. But let me close with what Charles Spurgeon said in a sermon he preached from James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He said, Ask, and you shall receive. It is a rule that never will be altered in anybody's case. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the elder brother of the family, but God has not relaxed the rule for him. Remember this text. Jehovah said to his son, Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen of thine inheritance and the utmost part of the earth of thy possession." If the royal and divine Son of God cannot be exempt from the rule of asking that He may have, you and I cannot expect to be released from that rule either. Why should it be? What reason can be pleaded? Why should you be exempt from prayer? What argument can there be? Why we should be deprived of the privilege and delivered from the necessary of supplication. I can see none. Can you? God will bless Jeremiah. I mean, God will bless Ezekiel. I'll get it right in a minute. Elijah, and send rain on Israel. but Elijah must pray. If the chosen nation is to prosper, Samuel must plead for it. If the Jews are to be delivered, Daniel must intercede. God will bless Paul and the nation shall be converted through him, but Paul must pray. Prayer, pray without ceasing. His epistle shows that he expected nothing except by asking for it. If you may have everything by asking, and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how absolute vital prayer is, and I beseech you to bound up in it. I agree with what Spurgeon says. If you want it, pray. If you want your children saved, you better pray. Pray for them often. Pray for them daily. If you want that neighbor saved, pray for them. If you want that co-worker saved, pray for them. We must pray. We want this neighborhood converted, we must pray for it. Be diligent in our prayer. And There's times that we need to pray and fast. And if we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we will be faithful and being obedient to His word. Let us pray. Father, we pray that as we think upon these truths, that our hearts will be stirred. Stirred to the point to where we would be serious about prayer and fasting. For we know that we live in an evil day. We know that the evil one has led many astray. And the only way that we will be able to be victorious is crying out to you by prayer and fasting. Father, we pray for any that would be here today that has not ever come to know You as Lord and Savior through Jesus Christ, that have never been born from above. How we pray, Father, that today would be day of salvation, that they would look to Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and run to Him for that salvation. Father, I pray for Christians that we would be obedient to the things that we see in your word. Be committed to these things so that you might hear our prayers and answer our prayers according to your decreed will to bring about that which you have ordained to do. And it's in Christ's name that we pray and for his sake. Amen.